0: Hey everyone, just you, because you know, you're probably the only one listening to this right now. I'm not going to do an introduction today because I'm pretty sleepy. But we are going to read the third chapter of Secret Garden. Well, I'm going to read it, and you can go to sleep. Okay, we'll just relax, wherever you are. She slept a long time. When she awakened, Mrs. Medlock had brought a lunch basket at one of the stations. And they had some chicken and cold beef and bread and butter and some hot tea. The rain seemed to be streaming down... (sighs) more heavily than ever, and everybody in the station wore wet and glistening waterproofs. The guard lit the lamps in the carriage, and Mrs. Bedlock cheered up very much over her tea and chicken and beef. She ate a great deal, and afterwards fell asleep herself. But Mary sat and stared at her, and watched her fine bonnet slip on one side until she Herself fell asleep once more, in the corner of the carriage, lulled by the splashing of the rain against the windows. It was quite dark when she awakened again. The train had stopped at a station, and Mrs. Medlock was shaking her. You have had a sleep, she said. It's time to open your eyes. We're at Thwaites station, and we've got a long drive before us. Mary stood up and tried to keep her eyes open while Mrs. Medlock collected her parcels. The little girl did not offer to help her because in India native servants always picked up or carried things and it seemed quite proper that other people should wait on one. The station was a small one and nobody but themselves seemed to be getting out of the train. The station master spoke to Mrs. Medlock in a rough, good-natured way. Pronouncing his words in a queer, broad fashion, which Mary found out afterwards was Yorkshire. I see that's got back, he said. And that and that brown young one with the Aye, that's her answered Mrs. Bedlock, speaking with a Yorkshire accent herself and jerking her head over her shoulder towards Mary. How's the missus? Well the we now the carriage is waiting out there for me. Broughtham stood on the road before the little outside platform. Mary saw that it was a smart carriage and that it was a smart footman who helped her in his long waterproof coat and the waterproof covering of his head was shining and dripping with rain as everything was the burly station master included when he shut the door mounted the box with the coachman and they drove off the little girl found herself seated in a comfortably cushioned corner but she was not inclined to go to sleep again. She sat and looked out of the window. (sighs) Curious to see something of the road over which she had been driven to the queer place Mrs. Medlock had spoken of. She was not at all a timid child, and she was not exactly frightened, but she felt that there was no knowing what might happen in a house with a hundred rooms nearly all shut up, a house standing on the edge of a moor. What is a moor, she suddenly said to Mrs. Medlock. Look out of the window in about ten minutes and you'll see, the woman answered. We've got to drive five miles across the Missal moor before we get to the manor. You won't see much because it's a dark night, but you can see something. Mary asked no more questions, but waited in the darkness of her corner, Keeping her eyes on the window, the carriage lamp cast rays of light a little distance ahead of them, and she caught glimpses of the things they passed. After they had left the station, they had driven through a tiny village, and she had seen whitewashed cottages and the lights of a public house. Then they had passed a church and a vicarage and a little shop window, or in a cottage with toys and sweets, and odd things set out for sale. Then they were on the high road and she saw hedges and trees. After that, there seemed nothing different for a long time, or at least a long time to her. At last, the horses began to go more slowly as if they were climbing up a hill, and presently there seemed to be no more hedges and no more trees. She could see nothing, in fact, but a dense darkness on either side. She leaned forward and pressed her face against the window just as the carriage gave a big jolt. Eh, yeah, on the moor now, sure enough," said Mrs. Medlock. The carriage lamps shed a yellow light on a rough-looking road, which seemed to be cut through bushes and low-growing things, which ended in the great expanse of dark, of dark apparently spread out before and around them. A wind was rising and making a singular, wild, low rushing sound. "It's—it's it's not the sea, is it?" said Mary, looking round at her companion. No, not it, answered Mrs. Medlock, nor it isn't fields nor mountains, it's just miles and miles and miles of wild land that nothing grows on but heather and gorse and broom, and nothing lives on it but wild ponies and sheep. I feel as if it might be the sea if there were water on it, said Mary, sounds like the sea just now. "'That's the wind blowing through the bushes,' Mrs. Medlock said. "'It's a wild, dreary enough place to my mind, "'though there's plenty that likes it, particularly when the heathers in bloom.' "'On and on they drove through the darkness and through the rain, "'and though the rain stopped, the wind rushed by and whistled and made strange sounds. "'The road went up and down, and several times the carriage passed over a little bridge,' beneath which water rushed very fast, with a great deal of noise. Mary felt as if the drive would never come to an end, and that the wide, bleak moor was a wide enough expanse of black ocean through which she was passing on a strip of dry land. "'I don't like it,' she said to herself. "'I don't like it,' and she pinched her thin lips more tightly together. The horses were climbing up a hilly piece of road when she first caught sight of a light, Mrs. Medlock saw it as soon as she did and drew a long sigh of relief. "'Eh, I'm glad to see that bit of light twinkling,' she exclaimed. "'We shall get a good cup of tea after a bit, at all events.' It was after a bit, as she said, but when the carriage passed through the park gates, there were still two miles of avenue to drive through, and the trees which nearly met overhead made it seem as if they were driving through a long dark vault they drove out of the vault into a clear space and stopped before an immensely long but low-built house, which seemed to ramble round a stone court. At first, Mary thought that there were no lights at all in the windows, but as she got out of the carriage, she saw that one room in a corner upstairs showed a dull glow. The entrance door was a huge one, made of massive, curiously shaped panels of oak studded with big iron nails and bound with great iron bars. It opened into an enormous hall, which was so dimly littered that the faces in the portraits on the walls and the figures in the suits of armour made Mary feel that she did not want to look at them. As she stood on the stone floor, she looked very small. She looked a very small, odd little black figure, and she felt as small and lost and odd as she looked. A neat, thin old man stood near the manservant, who opened the door for them. "'You were to take her to her room,' he said in a husky voice. "'He doesn't want to see her. He's going to London in the morning.' "'Very well, Mr. Pitcher,' Mrs. Medlock answered. "'So long as I know what's expected of me, I can manage.' "'What's expected of you, Mrs. Medlock?' Mr. Pitcher said is that you make sure that he's not disturbed and that he doesn't see what he doesn't want to see. And then Mary Lennox was led up a broad staircase and down a long corridor and up a short flight of stairs, steps as through another corridor and another until a door opened in a wall as she found herself in a room with a fire in it and a supper on the table. Mrs Medlock said unceremoniously, well here you are, this room and the next are where you'll live and you must keep to them. Don't forget that. It was in this way Mistress Mary arrived at Misselthwaite Manor, as she had perhaps never felt quite so contrary in all her life. It's only a short little reading tonight, but hopefully that was enough to relax you. And maybe I'll post another soon. Perhaps today, take care of yourselves and if you're going to sleep, then sweet dreams.